Welcome to Talking All Things Cardiopalm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi, physical therapist and board-certified cardiopulmonary clinical specialist. This podcast is designed to discuss heart and lung conditions, treatment interventions, research, current trends, expert opinions, and patient experiences. The goal is to learn, inspire, and bring cardiopalm to the forefront of conversation. Thanks for joining me today, and let's get after it. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Talking All Things Cardio Palm. I am your host, Dr. Rachel Barisi. So today we're going to talk a little bit about cardiac risk factors. And um, this all kind of came about because I was lecturing today on diabetes, uh, chronic kidney disease, and obesity, and just generally talking about metabolic syndrome. Um and it, it would, I just felt like I was repeating myself. And the reason why I felt that way is because the cardiac risk factors hold so much weight and they're way more than just cardiac risk factors. I think sometimes, I don't think, I know for a fact that in health and disease, we typically wait until the process is so far that we have to manage with medication. And maybe not even that we have to manage with medication, but that is the easier choice. And at that point, when it's finally being dealt with, might actually be a necessity. With that being said, the risk factors for cardiac risk factors, the risk factors for diabetes, the risk factors for chronic kidney disease, all pretty much mirror each other. And... The big ticket is with modifications in lifestyle and behavior, we can mitigate progression of cardiac disease, atherosclerosis, hypertension. We can mitigate the process of progression of prediabetes to type 2 diabetes. We can mitigate the progression into chronic kidney disease. It's not easy. And I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying that it's easy. But what I am saying is that we can control health to a certain degree. Yes, there are genetic components for sure. But if we keep it simple and think about healthy diet, think about healthy weight, and think about regular physical activity with moderate intensity... That essentially would help mitigate and prevent progression of a multitude of diagnoses, including diabetes, cardiac disease, and chronic kidney disease. So I just wanted to kind of go through cardiac risk factors, pull out some points, and then I'm going to talk about those diagnoses a little bit, just because I want to bring to light how much they work together and compound each other. And if we keep it simple, we can really stunt the progression of a number of diseases. So when we're talking about risk factors, I'm solely going to be talking about modifiable risk factors today because non-modifiable is non-modifiable. But from a 
general, can we control it? Can we do something about this risk factor? That's what we're going to talk about. So first on the list, we have BMI. And so BMI greater than 30 is classification of obesity and or a waist girth of greater than 40 inches in men and greater than 35 inches in women. Now, I think this is really important because I think we do have to pay attention to healthy weight, healthy lifestyle, and there is a specific point here that I do want to kind of bring light to, and that is adipose tissue around the abdomen. And basically that has higher impact of health and disease because essentially adipose tissue works as an endocrine organ and releases and secretes things like cytokines and essentially creates this inflammatory process and has a high link to insulin resistance as well as what we call visceral adiposity. So basically adipose tissue that starts to develop around organs have a higher risk of leading to disease. But essentially, central obesity or central um, abdominal obesity has high risk for progression into insulin resistance and is a cardiac risk factor for cardiovascular disease. And also it creates a low-grade inflammatory process. We know that... If we're looking at weight loss as a mitigation point, that we can make improvement in a number of other factors. So I'm going to hold on that because we're going to come back to it. Physical inactivity is a cardiac risk factor. And the, um, the, the recommendation has not changed much in the new update, but basically not meeting a minimum threshold of 75 to 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity in the week is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. So what does this mean? This means that we need to get moving. And I will tell you that this is not as easy as it sounds, but this is really the bread and butter, probably not a great analogy in this case, to improve risk factors period. Exercise is medicine. It's not just a slogan. It's a fact. If you could put exercise in a pill, it would fix so many different problems, so many different um, progression of diseases, so many compounding effects, improvement in all sorts of aspects of life. Starting with exercise at a young age, making exercise a game plan from the get-go, when things are starting to turn towards disease, that should be the first priority. We need to do better at educating on exercise, what it means, how to increase activity, how to incorporate aerobic exercise, how to increase resistance training in your week. The minimum threshold is 150 minutes. 30 minutes, five times a day of moderate intensity, or 75 minutes, which is three times a week of vigorous activity. So just changing that intensity changes the time. Blood pressure. Blood pressure is a cardiac risk factor, and this was new in the update, and I've I've spoken about this before, but 
we are considering our um, blood pressure, our risk factor, when systolic blood pressure is greater than or equal to 130 millimeters of mercury and or a diastolic blood pressure of greater than or equal to 80. That number is a cutoff for progression of disease. So when we have hypertension, basically we have this process of increased velocity throughout our vessels, which causes problems within the vessel walls, causes breakdown, sets us up for atherosclerosis. It also creates what we call afterload, increased pressure on the system so that the heart physically has to work harder to pump against said pressure. So it's multifactorial on how it causes issues. It also causes issues in different organs because that high velocity force is present there as well. And some organs are not set up to handle such pressures. Dyslipidemia. So that atherosclerotic process, this, this level of increasing lipids in our bloodstream is our cardiac risk factor, LDL greater than 130. HDL, which is our good cholesterol, less than 40 in men, less than 50 in women, and total cholesterol being greater than 200. Change in lipid profile sets you up for the process of atherosclerosis and many other things. But step one, or one of the main concerns, especially in the world of cardiac risk factors, is that we're literally setting up the body for failure. We're setting it up to have plaque buildup. You compound that on top of hypertension, and you have the perfect storm. So thinking about how to improve LDL, lipid profile. Two main things, healthy diet, exercise. How can we improve blood pressure? A number of different ways, but you already know. Healthy diet, exercise. There's a common theme throughout. We also have... Um, cardiac risk factor for fasting plasma glucose. So your fasting glucose is the time that your glucose is checked after fasting for at least eight hours, and that risk factor is greater than 100, or with a two-hour plasma glucose test, greater than 140. An even better indicator can be what we call the hemoglobin A1c, and that is greater than 5.7% as a risk factor. And the reason why the hemoglobin A1c can be so beneficial is because it gives us a three-month window of your glucose health. It's not just based on one test. Maybe you didn't fast for a true eight hours. Maybe the meal that you ate before fasting was higher level in sugar. Hemoglobin A1c is a three-month window. And the reason is, is because as we have increased glucose built up in our system, it can bind to hemoglobin. And essentially, it stays bound. It's irreversible. So it'll last about 120 days, which is about the life cycle of that cell. And so it gives you a good picture of basically glucose health for a three-month window. And then we have smoking. We've talked about smoking already. Smoking is a risk, cardiac risk factor. And again, a risk factor for so many other issues. Um, I've actually had a number of patients recently that are actively smoking, and it, it actually fits into this whole picture, so I might bring it back up later. But smoking, especially in the world of diabetes and wound healing, is the absolute worst thing that you can do to compound an already struggling situation. So smoking cessation, 
all the way, no questions asked. I think that's an easy piece. All right, let's talk about metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome is literally the combination of these risk factors creating disease. Okay, so metabolic syndrome includes hyperglycemia, hypertension, dyslipidemia, and central adiposity. Literally everything that was just mentioned before. Um, and I just want to make note that anytime we have a process and or taking a medication for that problem, it is considered a risk factor. So if I am hyperglycemic, but I'm taking some sort of medication to improve my glucose, that would still be considered a risk factor. If I'm hypertensive and I'm taking an antihypertensive to improve that, that blood pressure, that is still a risk factor, even though my numbers might technically be normal now. They would not without the medication. So it still counts. So metabolic syndrome is literally a reflection of cardiac risk factors, except we're saying this same person has all of these things together. Now we look at diabetes. No surprise here, but the risk factors for diabetes include obesity, specifically abdominal obesity, impaired fasting glucose and glucose tolerance, hypertension, low HDL and high triglycerides, and smoking. So these risk factors that we just talked about in great detail about cardiovascular risk is, are the same as diabetic risk. And we know that if someone has diabetes, they have something like a three to four times higher likelihood of having cardiovascular disease. So when you have one, it is very likely that you have the other. And when you have both, it's going to compound the problems that exist. And so essentially, your body starts to compensate. And compensation can only take you so far because at the end of the day, what ends up happening is failure. So we'll, we'll leave type 1 diabetes out because there's actually a structural autoimmune destruction that occurs. But in type 2, it's literally a decreased insulin sensitivity and resistance to insulin that occurs over time. And essentially, your body, although it makes insulin, isn't being used appropriately. So typically, we have food. We break that food down into glucose so it can be used for energy metabolism. And insulin helps to make that happen. So insulin helps glucose cross the cells to be used appropriately for energy and cell metabolism. And what's not used typically gets stored in the liver. Well, when we have insulin sensitivity or resistance to said insulin, that function is no longer working. So the insulin isn't able to move the glucose across the cell, and it's not able to have the liver store said glucose. So then the liver says, hey, I'm going to help, and I'm going to add glucose to the mix because my cells need that for energy. So essentially what then happens is, we have increased glucose in the blood from the insulin not doing its job, and then the liver adds to the mix and adds more glucose, and now we have this increased glucose level. So the liver tries to compensate and makes things worse. 
Then the kidneys, they have to get involved and they try to maintain homeostasis by literally trying to restore balance and excreting said glucose. So now the kidneys are excreting the glucose in the urine and it's gonna be doing that for some period. And when that happens, it's gonna create a diuretic effect and actually increase water excretion. So now the kidneys are doing more work. And so yeah, as a compensation, it's gonna hold up for a bit of time, but what do you think is gonna to happen to those kidneys long-term? So because we're not using glucose for energy, we have to use something else, and the body ends up utilizing fat for metabolism. And this can become problematic because when we use fat as a primary metabolism source, then we start to accumulate ketones in the blood. And again, the kidneys and the lungs have to excrete said ketones, and it does that by excreting higher level of hydrogen or exhaling via the lungs. So when we have this process of using fat metabolism, we actually end up increasing our lipid levels, and that increases our risk for atherosclerosis. So part of the process of diabetes includes all those cardiac risk factors, but then diabetes sort of makes the whole process worse by exacerbating the atherosclerosis process. So diabetes has a high risk for heart disease, has a high risk for stroke, and is the leading cause of blindness and renal failure. So lots of problems come from having this process develop. Now, what's the treatment for diabetes? Diet modification, weight loss, exercise. Until that's not enough or until that doesn't work or if that wasn't tried. And then you have to go to medication management to assist in the process. But I think you're starting to catch on to my theme here. Last piece of this is chronic kidney disease. And you can guess what the risk factors are for chronic kidney disease. So now we're at the point where disease process already exists and we're a little bit further past the cardiac risk factors, but if you think about it, sort of still the same. Primary risk factors for chronic kidney disease are diabetes, aka hyperglycemia, hypertension, heart failure, and obesity. So same overall process. Diabetes basically induces kidney damage due to hyperglycemia because the kidneys are working hard to excrete said excess glucose and they end up becoming fibrotic and they break down and they start to lose the ability to filter what they're supposed to be filtering, the waste in the body. Hypertension same thing, we have this increased velocity throughout the body and we're causing havoc within the vessel walls, but also the kidneys are always the friend that tries to help and compensate for the problem. And that's great, but at some point, they also become the friend that does more harm than good. So when the heart is having an issue, for instance, heart failure, they have a low cardiac output and the body senses that they have a low cardiac output or low volume. So the kidneys say, hey, I'll help out. I'm going to help you with that volume. And so it activates the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, 
which essentially means that it's going to release aldosterone and angiotensin 2 to help with this volume problem. Except it's a misread. They misread the whole situation. And essentially, they add more volume and more salt to the problem. And releases angiotensin 2, which is a potent vasoconstrictor. So we already have hypertension in the mix. And now we're going to stimulate angiotensin 2, which is a vasoconstrictor. So it's going to make that hypertensive process worse and essentially lead to more left ventricular hypertrophy. So now we're in this world of not only do we have disease and compounding effect, but each disease process is making the one prior worse. So worsening hypertension, worsening heart failure, worsening fluid management, and essentially you end up in this problem where likely you're in and out of hospital admissions, um, you're in an exacerbated state, you're acute on chronic kidney disease, you're acute on chronic heart failure exacerbation, and you're kind of stuck in this compensatory world where your body no longer can compensate and it starts to fail. Even in the state where, for instance, you need to be on dialysis and or need a kidney transplant, you can still benefit from exercise. It is still one of the recommendations to improve kidney disease. Exercise helps improve lipid profile, blood pressure control, insulin control, reduction of inflammation, improve red blood cells, which matters because in chronic kidney disease, you actually have anemia, improve your exercise capacity, strength, quality of life, so on and so forth. And yes, at this point, medication management will be important and it will include glucose control, antihypertensives, and uh, lipid control. But let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to those cardiac risk factors. So why are they considered cardiac risk factors? They're considered cardiac risk factors because they lead to cardiac disease. And I think because cardiac has a more expedited problem, like MI, in the world of atherosclerosis, that it becomes the forefront of that conversation. But at the end of the day, those risk factors mirror each other and compound each other into other disease processes. And when you go back to the basics, the basics revolve around improving exercise and physical activity, improving glucose control, with diet and potentially weight loss if if that's indicated. All of those things have benefit to their overall system. The benefits of exercise is that whole list. Improves glucose control, improves hypertension, improves lipid profile. All of the things that kind of built you up to this process. Weight loss can literally decrease systolic blood pressure. So the amount differs per article, um, but something like a loss of four to eight pounds can result in an improvement in systolic blood pressure of three to eight millimeters of mercury. Three to eight millimeters of mercury can matter in staging of hypertension. 
how that progresses um, in a bigger set is not necessarily known. It's not necessarily a linear improvement, but weight loss can lead to reduction in blood pressure. It can also improve blood glucose levels. It can improve hemoglobin A1C. It can prevent progression of prediabetes to type 2 diabetes. It can improve HDL. It can improve systolic blood pressure. It has benefit. And the only other thing that improves HDL, that good cholesterol that helps literally clear the pipes, the draino of the arterioles, is exercise. Exercise is medicine. I, I wish that there was a way to make it simple and to keep promoting just a healthy lifestyle. Exercise, healthy weight, healthy diet. It would literally mitigate a number of diseases or at least progression of many diseases. So I'm going to keep it simple today. My question is, are they cardiac risk factors or are they so much more? They are definitely so much more. And I think if we keep it simple and if we keep educating our patients and giving them the skills, giving them the education points to make a difference, to be able to control progression, to potentially decrease the amount of medication that is required. That can be huge to prevent readmission. We can make a difference with the simple things. Exercise is 100% medicine. All right, that is all I have for you today. If you have any questions, please reach out to me on the Instagrams or send me a text at 913-944-7705. I hope you all have a wonderful day. And whatever you have to do, get after it.